Matthew. Um, I encourage you to open up to the second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Second letter of Paul to the Corinthians. We're going to be focusing primarily in chapter 5 this morning in verses 14 through 21. All right. Show of hands. How many of you made New Year's resolutions or goals? There's a few hands that are up, and I'll bet there's a few hands that are not up for reasons you probably know where I'm going right now. Uh, every year, uh, Julie and I make not necessarily resolutions, but we, we get off and we go have lunch together and we make goals for the upcoming year, and by the end of the year, we kind of check to see, hey, how do we do, and, and how are we getting there? So we understand resolutions, we understand those sorts of goals. Now, with maybe without a show of hands, how many of you have, within 15 days of the new year, uh, either abandoned, modified, or not made those New Year's resolutions already? You know in your heart where... Where you're at with that, with the perspective, a prospect of a new year, it's easy to, to dream big and believe that in this, this coming new year, you can be a new person. And so we set these lofty goals, we, we have these really good intentions, and we often get off to a decent start, but somehow in the course of time, whether it be 15 days or eight months, we, we get lazy. Perhaps we realize that we didn't maybe didn't set realistic goals, uh, and sometimes, honestly, life just happens, and these things that we wanted to do just don't really, don't really come to fruition. And even though the statistics tell us that only 8% of people keep their New Year's resolution, for some reason, we keep this pattern up year after year after year, sometimes just deluding ourselves to believe that we have the power to change ourselves and to make ourselves new people. You know, I used to be a retailer for a major wireless cell phone company, and part of my responsibility was not only the sales portion of the business, but also the, the customer service. And when someone would buy a more expensive phone, the parent company that I worked for would put a little pressure on us to uh, encourage people to put insurance on their cell phones. Now, this is, this is about 10 years ago, so I don't know if it's the same way uh, now than it was back then. But at that time, it costed about $5 a month. And if anything happened to your phone, you would just pay about a $50 deductible, and they would uh, send you a replacement phone. The problem, though, that I discovered is that when you made an insurance claim, you got a phone. And you're saying to yourself, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. How is that the problem? That's the point of an insurance company, to give you uh, what you are putting your money into. And the problem was, at least when I was working there, is that the replacement phone was never a new phone. It was a used phone. And quite often, it was a phone that the insurance company had received as an insurance claim that they cleaned up and did something called a refurbished phone, 
and sent it to you as a replacement in order to make it sound better than what it really was. Now, I know what refurbished means because I used to sell refurbished phones myself. It means that you take a toothbrush and you scrub in all the little cracks and the crevices, getting all the dirt and all the oil off of there. You maybe put a new battery in, which costs about five bucks, and then you sell it for anywhere from $50 to $200, depending on the phone. Again, that's how it was 10 years ago. I don't know if it's changed now. But when it comes to refurbished phones, all you get is a used phone to, to look pretty on the outside, but it is just as flawed on the inside. And many of us approach personal change in this same sort of way. We look at our lives and it seems as though we're not any different than a broken cell phone. Some of us have been dropped too hard or too many times and we've just cracked. Things were going really well in life and all of a sudden some event came up and life has just never been the same since. For some of us, we feel like we are water damaged. Life is coming at us so hard that we are trying just to, uh, with everything we have, to keep our head above water in order to breathe. And our question that we keep asking ourselves is, how much longer am I going to have to tread water before I finally sink? For some of us, we just think we have hardware problems. I'm not smart enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not happy enough. You have relational problems. Maybe your, your marriage might not be going so well. Your job is frustrating and, and it doesn't give you any sense of fulfillment or, or satisfaction. You never get what you want and it seems like everybody else has everything together, but yet your life is a, seems like a train wreck. When we begin to think about things in those sorts of way, we, ways, we, we, we see the need for change, but we don't see it through the lens of Christ. Rather, we see them through lenses like New Year's resolutions or hypothetical situations. If I could just change my circumstances, if I could just get a better job, a, a higher paying job, a, a better spouse, a, a bigger house, if I could just start it all over again, I could be the person that I've always wanted to be. But isn't it true that whenever we try to improve ourselves in these uh, sorts of ways, all we get in return is a refurbished self. We put on the appearance of cleaning ourselves up. Perhaps we're successful in some ways, but in reality, we struggle with the same things and face the same pressures that we did before. In our text this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul recognizes this as a common human issue, and he points us to the person in whom true change can occur. So what we need to understand this morning is that true change, true lasting change, can only come through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
And when we come to Him, we are no longer refurbished goods. We are not a repackaged deal. We're not put on with a, a different uh, uh, coat made to look new. If you are in Christ today, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you are a new person. So if you have your Bibles with, with you, I uh, invite you to read along with me in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to be picking it up at verse 14 and going through verse 21. So hear the words of our God. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we were once regarded, once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would open up our ears and our, and, and our eyes to see the risen Christ the way that you have revealed him in this passage. Amen. Well, if we want to make it a new year and a new us and that Christ has renewed us in him, there are a couple things that we, uh, that we need to take heed of. And the first is that we need to discover life Discover life as a new creation. Discover life as a new creation. Look with me in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You know, many of us who have, who have been in the church before, we've heard this verse time and time again. This is nothing new. This is very familiar to us, but it's so important for us to hear it afresh and ponder anew what the Almighty can do for us broken sinners. Again, if anyone, and you can take your, your pencil or pen if you want, you can underline that. If anyone, it doesn't matter what circumstance you've had, it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what you've thought, it doesn't matter your experiences. Anyone is in Christ. He is a not a newly polished or refurbished creation. He is a new creation. They have such a close connection with him 
that is uh, such a close union with him that they are considered part of him. They are in him. He is in them. It, 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 he, they belong to him. He belongs to them. Whoever has that, who is ever in Christ, is a new creation. Immediately, this should bring up visions of Genesis chapter one and chapters 1 and 2, where God is creating everything in existence, not with putting things together, but he's creating everything just by sputtering out words. Let there be trees. Let there be clouds. Let there be sun. Let there be moon. By that very power of making new things in Genesis 1 and 2, here God, in the same exact way, is creating us new and fresh and pure because it comes from Him. You are a new creation. You are completely changed. Look at how Paul goes into it further in verse 17. The old has passed away. Get that again. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'd like you to take a moment for just a second and remember what life was like for you before you became a Christian. If you're here this morning, and maybe that was uh, a long, long time ago, maybe you were a little kid and you don't even remember what it was like before you were a Christian, you can still ponder on what Christ has saved you from and what he has saved you to. But just take a brief moment, and it's going to be awkward, and I know it, but just take a, a brief moment where I'm not going to talk. I just want you to reflect on the life that you had before Christ. So let's take that moment together. Paul tells us, on the authority of Jesus Christ, that if you were in Him, that person that you just thought of is dead and gone. It is no longer you. If you're in Christ, praise God this morning that you are not the same person that you once were. You're sort of like a, like a butterfly that has escaped from its cocoon. The last thing that you remember uh, is being a, a fuzzy little bottom feeder and now you see these wings that come out and you can fly, you can experience life totally different. Now, I'm going to give you a little uh, uh, insight into me. I cannot read the mind of a butterfly. I don't know if you can, but if I were a butterfly, I can imagine that there is no butterfly that ever existed that would say something like, gee, I wish I could go back into that cocoon and reverse the process of metamorphosis so that I can be a caterpillar again. There's no butterfly that would ever say that. Because he's better off now than he ever has been. And you in Christ are better off than you ever have been before him. And we need to be reminded of that this morning. When he makes us new, we don't want to go back. When we ponder on, on what it was like back then and who we are now, we don't want to go back, but we also praise God that we realize that this change is nothing short of a miracle. Friends, there's nothing that you and I could have done in order to make this change happen. It didn't happen on our own. And in these verses, I see three things 
uh, three ways in which we change. The first is what we live for changes. When we're in Christ, what we live for changes. Look with me again in, in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Another word to say there is that the, the love of Christ compels us. If we're genuinely in Christ, if we have genuine faith, it ought to change what motivates us. It ought to change what we live for. Now, don't get this verse wrong. Paul is not saying here that our love for Christ is what controls us. If our love for Jesus is what controls us, I think it would be safe to say that every one of us would have a faith that is flatlined. Because our faith fails. Our love grows cold. And if it's dependent on our love for Him, we'd be in trouble. So instead of being an active love on our part, Paul rather says that we take a passive role in it. It is Christ's love that controls us. Christ's love compels us. It is his love that drives us when we are trying to share our faith with an unbeliever. It is his loving kindness that draws us into prayer. It is his mercy that makes us sing and not just go through the motions, but truly have a song in our hearts that is worth singing about. If we're motivated, if we're not motivated to do such things with joy, then perhaps we have not been convinced of his love. Because whenever you or I lack motivation in what we choose to do, when we lack motivation to worship the risen Lord, I promise you, it is not because of his lack of love. And it is not because of his faithfulness. It is because of ours. It's Christ's love that gives us a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It is his favor that causes us not to give up and lose heart when times are really, really difficult. It's his mercy that we're no longer consumed by sin. It is his grace that gives us purpose in life. When we trust in Christ, he makes us a new person. So ask yourself, who is behind the wheel in your faith journey? Are you driving the car? Or is Christ? Let me encourage you to let the love of Christ drive you. So, what we live for changes, but also, secondly, who we live for changes. So, not only does our reason for being change, but also who we live for changes. Look in verse 15 with me. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And was raised. So through Christ's death, we're changed into people who are not seeking their own glory. We're changed into people 
who have the joy of living for others. The joy of serving the Lord. This, this wouldn't take long to see how this flies directly in the face of our contemporary culture, which in its, for lack of a better term, in its hedonism tells us that you must look out for numero uno. You are number one. You are awesome and you need to make sure that you take care of yourself first. A culture and a worldview that says that your happiness is paramount to anyone or anything. Who cares who gets hurt? As long as you are comfortable, as long as you are fulfilled, and as long as you are happy. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, when we genuinely experience the grace of God in our, in our lives, we forget ourselves. We die to ourselves, and we begin living to Christ and His will. So questions to ask yourself, who are you living for? If you were to do a brief survey of your daily activities, is that a report that you would be proud to see? Would it say that you spent your day, your finances, your interactions, your time alone was all controlled by the love of Christ? When Christ's love compels us, who we live for changes. Who we live for changes. And thirdly, how we view others changes as well. Look with me in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even as though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You know, before I was a Christian, I did not think about the eternal state of anyone that I encountered. I hadn't experienced a lot of death in my life, to be honest with you. I hadn't been to a lot of funerals, but from what I could see, I would view people uh, squarely in terms of, of, of a natural perspective. I would meet someone, and I wouldn't give a hoot about what they believed. And, I, and, and what their belief would mean for them. But when I became a Christian, something changed in me almost immediately. I would meet someone or I would be uh, sitting at a mall and be people watching. And instead of seeing these people as upright and, and, and normal, I, I, I could not stop thinking about what would happen if they were to pass right then and there. It was a haunting thought, and, and added to that, for some reason, and I hated it when it happened, I would envision on what that person would look like at their funeral. I don't have those kind of visions anymore, thankfully, but I do have an understanding of what Christ was teaching me at that time. 
he was teaching me to stop regarding people according to the flesh and to see people from an eternal perspective. That everyone that I walked past, everyone that I rubbed shoulders with every single day, they can't beat the statistic that they are going to die one day. So I had to stop thinking in terms of the fact that these are just normal people going about their normal lives. It taught me that everyone I pass by, that I can have a potential impact on them. And what they believe matters. You see, when Christ's love controls us, we see all of reality through spiritual lenses, not earthly ones. We live for Christ, and that should infect our every thought. It should infect our every word, our every deed, our interactions, because how we view others should change. So when you go about your day, how do you regard others around you? On a 1 to 10 scale, what is the level of concern that you have for the spiritual well-being of others around us? If it's not very high, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because as Christ has already changed you, remember, he is not done with you yet. You're a work in progress, and that's a good thing for us. We can live another day for his glory. Yeah, perhaps the days behind us might not be what we want, but the Lord's mercies are new every day. And he is continuing to change us every day. So praise God that Christ died to make you completely new, because when we're changed, when we're changed, everything else changes. But second of all, we also need to recognize the source of our change. Recognize the source of our change. God uh, in Christ. Look at verse 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So what is the root source of all this change? The text says right there, all this is from who? God. He is the root change in all of this. Prior to this, this metamorphosis that we uh, had because of Christ, you and I were all enemies of God. Not that God was an enemy toward you necessarily, but that the way that we were living was in hostility towards God. But yet, what did he do? He reconciled us. He made us come together with him. And whereas there was a time when every single one of us was hostile towards him, even if we didn't think so at the time, God was working toward your being his. Think about that. Now go back to that person you just thought of a couple minutes ago when we had that really awkward silence. Um, when you were that person... God was working for you. He was working in your life. He was bringing people into your life. He was bringing situations into your life that one day you would come to him. And maybe you haven't come to him yet and you're in a situation that he's, he's priming the pump right now for you to come to him. And that's a good thing. 
He was busy at work restoring us when we were busy shooting our arrows at him. When I was in high school, I had a, a column in my news, in, uh, school's newspaper <coughs> called, excuse me, called Rueful Meditations. Um, they were really nothing more than complaints and questions on logic on a number of pointless topics, to be completely honest with you. Um, but one of the ones that weren't pointless was that one of my favorite things that I liked to write about was how stupid I thought Christianity was. Um, I had a website that I would post all those on, and I had friends that were Christians that would question me on my beliefs, and I really didn't care. But at the same time that I was being hostile to God, my best friends in school were Christian for some reason. God was always putting Christian people in my life. Went to college, and uh, that freshman year of college, I met Christians that I, this is the real deal. And so I gave my life to Christ after that. But prior to that, it doesn't take away from the fact that as I was publishing attacks on God, God was sending me the best friends I ever had. And that's what God does for us. He, whatever situation you came from, whatever background you had before you came to Christ, understand that God was always there. You may be here this morning and you just think this is a bunch of hooey. And you don't even realize the truth that's right in front of you. That whatever you're, you're going through, God is in your life whether you choose to recognize him now or not. And he may be using your mindset right now to do work in you. Our change comes because God decided to reconcile us through Christ. He didn't have to. God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't even really need us for anything. He chooses to bring us with him. Yet he chose to make us his own through Christ. And we ought to recognize that. And finally, we should see the purpose of change. See the purpose of change. Look with me in verses 18 through 20. All of this, not just some of this, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You are changed for a purpose. You are changed for a purpose. God did not save you accidentally and for no reason. You are saved for a purpose. We're not restored, we're not changed, renewed to live a life as before, just with a different attitude. Rather, the text here says that God changed us to make us 
his representatives, his ambassadors. Now, in Paul's day, an ambassador was someone who, like, who, like today, but was a little more serious, uh, represented someone or something. If someone was considered an ambassador for Caesar, if you interacted with that ambassador, it was as if you were interacting with Caesar himself. His words were authoritative. Whatever would happen, whatever the ambassador would choose to do, it was as if the Caesar was making those decisions. So when Paul says that we were changed to be ambassadors for Christ, um, look at what he says in verse 20. God making his appeal through us, that ought to make us have a sense of awe. You are God's representative here on earth. How does that make you feel? Is it intimidating? Is it tough? It can be, but I think that we can be encouraged by it. When unbelievers hear that we are Christians, their idea of what Christianity is is largely based on us our actions and our words. If you want to terrify yourself with a thought, there's one right there. That we are representing Him. We must live wisely, making the most of our time with outsiders. But in this, there is grace. There is grace involved in this, though, because uh, if we are not living in ways that are pleasing to the Lord, again, we're works in progress. 1 John chapter 1 uh, tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've been living in a way that isn't pleasing to God, go to him right now. Go to him. Ask him to make you an ambassador that can bring him glory. Ask him to forgive you of whatever you, you, you've done. You're not going to be perfect. I'll say that again. You're not going to be perfect. But God takes imperfect stories and uses them for his glory. But we must be willing to be used. We must repent. We must go to him and we must ask him to continually make us new. You know, all of us are on this, this journey of change and too often we think that we can make it happen just out of our self-will, out of our resolutions and goals, but life keeps making us refurbished. Life keeps making us repackaged cell phones without any lasting change. Real change. Lasting change. Change that endures. Doesn't have a deductible. It doesn't have a down payment. It doesn't have a monthly subscription service. In fact, it is completely free to you. It costs God a lot. But to you, it is completely free and it is freely given to you in a crucified 
Messiah. Will you bring your scratched, broken, water-damaged life and exchange it for a life that is incorruptible? Will you look at your life and see that you can't do it on your own? Will you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to make you new and, and give you the new life that only he can bring? It is a new year and in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, you can truly be a new you. And praise God for that. Let's pray together, friends. Lord Jesus, you are good. You are worthy to be praised. Lord, we all here are, are we're just broken. We're people that when we reflect on our lives and we see the path behind us and we see things we're not proud of, things that we wish wouldn't have happened, but yet, Lord, you have made us new. We're not who we used to be, and you take those crumbled rocks of who we are and were, and you build them into a spiritual house in which we are strong in the Lord, in which we have impact on those that we interact with, in which we are renewed day by day, in which we can truly feel free from guilt, fear, and all other sins that might cling so closely. And so, Father, would you now help us to see that in Christ we are truly new again. Help us to have a new vision of what life should look like as the redeemed of God. And help us, Lord, walk in obedience to what you have called us to in your glory and in your grace. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen.